Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2016, on the basis of Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7. So that story that you just heard, the one with Mary and Joseph and the inn and the manger and the angels and the shepherds and, of course, baby Jesus. I don't know if you knew this, but that story is actually really a fairy tale. I know that some of you who are here this evening are here for the very first time. Others of you worship here every single week. And I would guess that the more you know about about who we are as a church and what we believe as a church, the more surprising it is for you to hear me say that. And that's because usually when we call something a fairy tale, we mean that it's fictional, right? That it didn't really happen. And of course, we wouldn't want to say that about this story. That's not true about this story. Fiction doesn't begin the way that this story does. Fiction begins once upon a time, long, long ago in a land far, far away. Luke's story begins, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and this census was first taken when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Do you know what Luke is is doing there? Do you know why he begins his story that way? He's doing something that no foundational religious text. No other foundational religious text dares to do because it's too risky. He is inviting scrutiny. He is inviting investigation. He is saying, here are some real people and some real events that coincided with the story that I'm about to tell, so go ahead and check it out and find out if those people really lived and those things really happened. And believe me when I tell you that plenty of people have looked into those things and found out that they really did. So no, when I say this story is just a fairy tale, I'm not saying that it's fictional. I'm simply saying that it's the kind of story that author J.R.R. Tolkien was talking about. You might recognize that name. He's the one who wrote the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's the kind of story he was talking about in his essay entitled On Fairy Stories. And in that essay, he talks about Stories and defines fairy stories as the kind of stories that kind of whisk us away to a different place. The stories that transport us to another world. The stories that that take us to a place where people are allowed to exist outside of the normal confines of space and time. Stories where people are allowed to escape their greatest fear, the fear of death. Stories where human beings actually interact and and communicate with with non-human beings. Stories where people are allowed to love one another without ever having to worry about parting company. And stories where, maybe most importantly, good, good always triumphs over evil. And if Tolkien were alive today, he would tell you that, that it's no surprise and it's no accident that the two most popular movies in America right now are both fairy stories. You've got the most recent episode of Star Wars at number one and the latest Disney Pixar film at number two. Tolkien would say that the prevalence and the popularity of of fairy stories really let us know that deep, deep down in our hearts, this is how we we want life to be. In fact, they indicate that deep, deep down in our hearts, this is how we think life ought to be. 
In other words, these, these fairy tales, these fairy stories don't just transport us away from the real world. They transport us to a place that we think is actually the ideal world, a world that we all long for. So here's my question for you tonight. What if one of them were, were real? What if one of them were true? What if, if the real world that we live in was actually that ideal world? What if we didn't live in a world where it felt like we're constantly carrying those burdens, burdens of, of stress and frustration and disappointment and guilt? What if we lived in a world where all of those burdens could be lifted and, and even shattered? What if we as adults could live in a world that our kids seem to have a really easy time living in? A world of smiles and giggles and imagination and wonder and hope and joy. This is going to kind of sound silly and a little bit sappy, but what if life were more like a fairy tale? If that not only sounds silly, but maybe sounds a bit unrealistic, then then you can probably sympathize and relate to the people to whom these words were originally written. Isaiah's words of prophecy were originally written to people who lived in the very northern part of the nation of Israel. And from the time that God's people had first entered the promised land until the day when Isaiah wrote these words, almost 700 years later, those people up in the north had really been taking a beating. You see, whenever there was an enemy nation that wanted to invade Israel, they would always come in from the north. And because the capital city, and along with it, the headquarters for the armed forces was in Jerusalem, way down in the south, those people in the north could never defend themselves. They were the first to be invaded, the first to be conquered, the first to be plundered, and the produce of their land was the first to be seized as tribute. Well, eventually they came up with a plan. Instead of continually trying to resist their enemies, they decided to form an alliance with one of them. The king of Israel decided to cozy up with the king of a nation called Assyria. He hoped that the king of Assyria could protect him from everybody else. But it turns out he ended up being the worst enemy of them all. Assyria eventually not only invaded that northern part of Israel, but, but permanently deported everyone, carried them off into exile really forever. That's why Isaiah describes them the way that he does. These are, are people who lived in deep darkness. People who, who had a heavy burden, like a heavy yoke, weighing down upon them. People who were continuously feeling the repeated blows from the rod of their oppressors. Really, those people sort of embody life in the real world. You see, in the real world, we're told that, that every single problem has a natural explanation. And thus, every single problem has a natural solution. We're, we're told to believe that, that every single problem that we have and every single thing that we could ever want to achieve, we can achieve through our own strength and our own wisdom. And if, if one solution, if one plan doesn't work, then, then just like the king of Israel, we will try another. So when it comes to reaching a certain level of success, whatever that, that level might be for you, we might enter the workforce and say, I am going to be the most loyal, most dependable, hardest working, most faithful employee that this company has ever seen. And it might work for a while. 
But then you might see other people ad advancing up the chain a little bit faster. And so then you might, you might try a different route. You might say, I don't care what it takes. I don't care who I need to step on. I don't care what I need to do. I am going to get to the top at all costs. As you search for a sense of value and a sense of identity in your life, when, when you're young, you might say, I'm going to be the straight A student. Or if that doesn't work, I'm going to be the super tough, super competitive athlete or the sophisticated, cultured artist. You get a, bit, a little bit older and you might think, I'm going to be that father that can give his family everything that they want. Sure, I might work 75 hours a week and, and never be at anything, but they are going to be able to have everything that they want. Or you might say, I, I'm not going to be that dad. I'm not going to be the workaholic. I'm going I'm to be there. I'm going to be able to coach Junior's t-ball team. And sure, we might not have everything, but, but I'll be there. As a mom, you might say, I, I'm going to be the mom that stays at home to take care of the kids. I'm going to always be on time. Everyone's always going to be put together. I'm going to have that picture-perfect family. Or maybe you're the mom who says, I, I'm going to work full-time out of the house. And, and even though at times we might be a little bit late for things and I might look a little bit frazzled, I'm going to figure out a way to manage everything that is on my plate. When it comes to our relationships, in one moment we might insist and, and put our foot down because we know that we are right and then in the very next moment decide we're going to let something go or say we're sorry even when we think that we've done nothing wrong. Even when it comes to our relationship with God. We might think that a relationship with God is, is all about following the rules, all about doing what's right. And so then, of course, we, we kind of look down our noses at, at the people who don't. Or maybe we would think that, that a relationship with God is all about us being happy. That's what God would want after all, right? So we, we have every right to find whatever it is that, that brings us fulfillment. And, of course, we will freely allow everyone else to do the very same thing no matter what that entails. Friends, the point of all of that is, is not that one is right and one is wrong, not that one is better or one is worse. The, the point is that if we live by and play by and try and win by the rules of the real world, we are, are going to end up exactly where these people did. In fact, if this Christmas you feel a little bit like they did, you feel like there's a, a heavy burden upon you, like there's this lingering cloud of doom and darkness that just seems to be hanging over your life, might I suggest that it's because you're trying to play by and win by the rules of the real world? Might I also suggest that, that if you don't feel that way, maybe even feel right now that you really have life by the tail, at some point that's probably going to change. Now really what you and I need this Christmas, what will give us what God has promised us this Christmas is is something else entirely, something that the real world just can't offer. Something that's nowhere to be found in the real world. And again, it doesn't come from a fake world. It doesn't come from make-believe land. It, it comes from an ideal world, a, a better world. And that's the world that Isaiah tells us about. In just a few short sentences, in, in probably the most well-known prophecy about Christmas, Isaiah is able to capture the shimmering significance of that story that you heard about Mary and Joseph and the angels and the shepherds and baby Jesus. He says, to us, a child is born. 
To us, a son is given. Two short parallel phrases. In the original Hebrew, it's just six simple words. We'll take them in the order that they occur. First, the the subject. A child and a son. See, according to the rules of the real world, every problem can be solved by our own strength and our own wisdom. But the fairy tale of Christmas tells us that it can't. It tells us that when God looked down at the human race and wanted to help, he didn't send an instruction manual. He didn't give a motivational pep talk. He actually had to come down himself. In the real world, we are told to pursue things like power and wealth and fame and influence, but, but the fairy tale of Christmas tells us just the opposite. When God's Son came to earth, he was born as a child. His mom was an unwed peasant girl. His stepdad was a nobody from Nowheresville. His crib was, was a cattle trough. And he came not to sit on a throne, but to hang from a cross. That's the, the fairy tale of Christmas. That's the subject of this sentence. A child, a son. Now the verb. A child is born. A son is given. See, in the real world, we're told that nothing is free, that everything comes at a price, that everything has to be earned. But the fairy tale of Christmas tells us just the opposite. This child, this son, was given. God's salvation, given. No cost, no strings, no fine print, not even pay at the register and then go home and send in the mail in rebate. No, just given, absolutely free of charge, which means that nothing that you have done and nothing that you could possibly do can disqualify you from from the gift of salvation that God gives. Can't be bought, can't be earned, it's simply given. That's the verb. So a child is born, a son is given, and finally the, the indirect object for you English teachers out there or English students out there. This is the one part of those two sentences that is actually identical. Not just, not just parallel or similar, but identical. And I can't help but think that it's because it's the most shocking part and the, t- the part that is the absolute toughest to believe. A child is born, a son is given to us. To us. See, in the real world, we're told that that our value and identity comes from who we are and what we do. And if there are two people that share an identity in common that belong to a certain group, that are included in a certain group, it instantly excludes those who don't share that identity. In other words, in the real world, whenever there's an us, it means that there's a them. But in the fairy tale of Christmas, it's just us. There we learn that our value and our identity simply comes from the fact that in in spite of what we've done, in spite of the times that we've hurt one another, God's gift is for everyone. God's gift is for all, which is how you know that it's also for you. That's God's ideal world breaking into the real world. It's the fairy tale of Christmas. 
it still just sounds a little bit wrong, doesn't it, every time that I say it, to refer to that story as a fairy tale? Not only because of how Luke's story begins, but, but really how Luke's entire story, the entire gospel of Luke, not only the story of Jesus' birth, but the story of everything that Jesus did, starts out this way. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Eyewitnesses, investigation, certainty, doesn't sound like a fairy tale, does it? And yet this is God's ideal world, breaking in and, and shattering our conceptions formed by the real world. This is our proof that there is a place where people exist outside the confines of time and space. That there is a place where people can escape death. That this is a life where we can love one another without ever having to worry about permanently parting ways. This is a world where good has once and for all triumphed over evil. This is the world that, that can turn our darkness to light and our sorrow to joy, that can take those burdens that we might be carrying and not just lift them from our shoulders, but shatter them forever. It has all the marks of a fairy tale. And the best part is it's true. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.